0: Well, hey church, I'm so excited we get to launch our series in deeper, wider, stronger tonight. And this is gonna be a bit of a season that we're gonna to spend together. It's kind of all in the name, but in case if you're wondering, we're really wanting to, to press in into our relationship with God in every single possible dimension over the next few weeks. So uh, for the month of July, we're focusing on what does it mean to go deeper with God? How exactly can we go deeper with God, which I'm going to start sharing on in a moment. Uh, We're also talking about wider with God, because if you've been a Christian for 30 seconds, you know that it doesn't work unless if you are actually doing something about it. Christianity is, by its nature, an evangelical religion. It's an evangelical faith, and it doesn't work unless if we're actually impacting the world around us. And then we're also going to be talking about Stronger uh, in a few more weeks from there, where we're going to be looking at how do we maintain the faith for the rest of our lives? How is it that we can go through all hell and high water and still come out the end better and stronger than ever before? And so to, to launch us in this series, I want to give you perhaps the most generic message you have ever heard in your entire life. I love your excitement right there. This is going to be the most run-of-the-mill message you've ever heard. This is going to have so much stuff that you've heard so many times that I'd be surprised you don't switch off, if I'm honest. But this this, this is exactly why, is because oftentimes I, I find that, and you've probably noticed this, We tend to say a lot of things without really thinking about what it means, right? This happens all the time. If you've ever been asked, how are you going? What do you normally say? Good. I remember uh, for several years, I used to work at an Optus store, and we were given specific scripting when it came to different interactions, like if someone is about to about to sign a contract, I would just have to give them the critical information and tell them certain things. Or you know, there'll be moments where you're you're having conversation with with someone and it's a really bad day in the store. And so what you have to do is give them a big old smile and go, mate, I'm living the dream. (laughs) Say the person next to you, I'm living the dream. I'm living the dream. How good is Australia? Living the dream. And really, within church, we do this exact same thing, if you haven't noticed. Uh, Just last week, I was hosting for our uh, 10 a.m. service, and we got to the end of the service, and there's a moment where we just give information to anyone who has decided to follow Jesus. Give them a few next steps, and uh, if you haven't decided to follow Jesus, you're going to hear all about that later tonight. But One of the things that I say quite often, you've probably heard other people say, is congratulations, this is the best decision you have ever made. And I believe that with every fiber in my being. I believe that following Jesus is a better decision than deciding who you're gonna marry, deciding what career path you're gonna take, deciding what you're gonna do with your life. Not to say that those aren't great decisions, they are some of the best decisions you can ever make. But I believe that above all of that, deciding to follow Jesus is really what flows from every other good decision you could ever make. But tonight I wanna ask and really begin to explore, why exactly is this the best decision we could ever make? Why is it that following God is such a compelling idea? Why is it that for over 2000 years, there have been billions of people That despite whatever might press against them, despite what the world might say, despite what it might even appear to be at being the worst decision you could ever make at times, that people have still had the conviction of going, this is the best decision I could ever have made. I remember several years ago, my uh, dad lived on an island uh, just off the coast of Redland Bay. It was called Coochie Mudlow Island. And I was maybe about seven or eight years old when he moved over there, and I, I remember just being so pumped because I mean, what kid doesn't want to spend their weekends on an island? So I was absolutely thrilled, and I remember the the very first time I went there, I was starting to just go out exploring, seeing this this wonderful island kingdom that I'm going to conquer one day, and learn all about you know, what do people do here, what are the other kids like, what they like to do for an activity, that you soon find out that when you're on an island, there is not much to do. There isn't any cinema, there isn't any shopping center, but what Kuchimala Island did have was a jetty. And I've got a photo behind, you can see, now they've knocked down this jetty and made a much better one, but this was the jetty of my childhood. And what we would do is a thing called jetty jumping. Now, if you have never heard about this before, it's all in the name. You get onto the jetty and you just jump into the water. And that was my weekend for like four years doing nothing but jetty jumping. And this attracted all of the kids and all of the adults of the entire island. I kid you not, there would at times be hundreds of people that would rock up to this jetty to do nothing but to jump off the base or jump off the pillar. Or if you were a really brave big boy, you would scale the roof and jump off of that. Another game that you could do, because again, this was like a while ago, you would try to get as many jumps in as possible before the ferry arrives. So if you really wanted to show off, you would see how close you could get before you would get swallowed up by the ferry. And so I remember my first weekend, I discovered this thing called jetty jumping and I tell dad, hey, I'm gonna go check out the jetty and, and make some friends. And him being a good dad goes, all right, well, I'll come with you because that sounds insane. Uh, And he he comes down with me and I remember just being so excited, going, man, I'm gonna make so many friends. I'm gonna be so cool. I'm gonna scale the roof straight up. I'm gonna get as close to the ferry as I can possibly get. And dad goes, okay, slow down. Just try going from like the second step. Let's just see how you go with that first. Go, okay, okay, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. And I, I get to the edge and then suddenly I become so aware of my surroundings. I've got the full... Eight mile thing going my palm is sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy, mom spaghetti. It was all going on. I became so nervous. I I looked down, and what was you know, a half a meter drop felt like jumping into a volcano. I remember just shaking and freaking out, and I eventually just start to walk back and go towards dad and goes, What's wrong? And I go, Dad, what if I hit the bottom? What if there's a shark? I, 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 we were walking up and there's so many oysters. What if I, if, what if I cut myself and goes, look, I, I know you're scared, but you only have to dive in once and you will never have to be convinced to dive in ever again. And he was, he was right. I remember going you know, to the edge again, freaking out once again, making the, the leap of faith and just being so filled with a joy and excitement and living my best seven-year-old life. A few years later, I was on that exact same beach. However, instead, I was running around with a few friends along the shoreline, along the sand. And there was a point where we just absolutely exhausted ourselves. So we decided we would just kind of sit around in a spot and grab a few snacks and drink something. And I decided to lean upon a rock. And so we were chilling there for a few moments, and I was you know, refreshing myself. But I remember after we decided to get up, I felt a tug along my knee. And as I looked down, I came to find two deep, wide gashes along my knee. So my first thought is, oh, i got to get home. And I decided in the moment the best possible thing I could do to myself was to run home as quickly as possible. I make it about 50 meters. And if you've ever had a cut and then you get your blood flow going, you you can tell what is about to happen. Because I, I eventually look down and see that my entire leg had turned a color I didn't want it to turn. and I don't really remember what happened much after that. I, I remember kind of losing sight for a little while, and I sort of fell over, took out my Nokia, and just kind of memorized Dad's number enough to call him and go, Dad, I need help. I hurt myself, and just crying and crying and crying and thinking I'm about to die. And he eventually takes me home and fixes me up, and uh, we we get, you know, stitches and all that good stuff. But here's something that I found out very Uh, very quickly, is that oftentimes we are terrified on what might be out on the depths that we prefer to stay on the shoreline. But there are two reasons that I, I kind of find this, is that the reason why we prefer to not go out into the depths with any pursuit, and this is especially when it comes to our pursuit of God, is because first of all, we fear losing control. If you have ever been completely submersed in the ocean, you know that you have a little bit of sway, but ultimately if the ocean wants to take you somewhere, it's gonna take you somewhere and there's not much you can do about it. But this is the the thing I discovered as a seven-year-old is that even though you lose control in the depths, often the damage is done on the shore. Often it's done when we have our own control, when we have complete autonomy, when we try to do a life all by ourselves, when it's comfortable, when it's the known, that is often where the worst of all damage happens. This is the the second reason why I, I feel we fear diving into the depths of what God has for us, is that we fear losing touch. We fear losing touch with the world we fear that if we go all in with god that we will alienate ourselves from the people around us you can sort of think of say though i think there's there's a sense that we have okay I, i'm going to be a christian but i'm not going to be like one of those christians <laughs> not going to be one of those people who just go all out on it and then have no grounding, have no sense of the world around them, just doesn't care about the people around us. It's almost as if, okay, you can be the super Christian, you can be the superhero that comes in and sweeps the day, saves everybody, flies out, but I'm gonna be the one who still goes to work. I'm gonna be the one who stays on the ground. I'm gonna be the one who cleans up your mess after you've come in. We can look at particular people and it's like, okay, you're you're a you're a professional, I know, a preacher or a particular pastor or just someone who's really revved up and go, yeah, but I could never be like you because I want to keep in touch with reality. Uh, There's there's a funny thing, I kind of had a thought of Christian Aquaman. You know, what does Aquaman do? He he lives out in the depths, doesn't really have much to do with society. He occasionally comes in, does something amazing, and then goes back out, but the thing is that he has no touch with reality. Um, Because my brain is strange, I decided to also type in Christian Aquaman into a generative AI, and we've got an image of that, that's coming up into a moment. So an AI made this nice photo. But this is the thing, nobody wants to be that guy. Nobody wants to be that person. So that is probably one of the leading reasons why we fear going into the depths of God because there is a lie that we've been told that in order to go deeper with God, we have to lose touch with everything around us. We have to become aloof to the people around us. We have to become so airy-fairy and have absolutely no grounding in the realities of this world. But I wanna maybe change our perspective the slightest bit. Because maybe instead of us thinking, going in depth with God as being a means for escaping the world, I want you to think of it as a means of providing the life for this world. If you haven't noticed, um, water is really important. It's really important. It's important in the obvious ways. I I love drinking water. I've got a toxic habit that many people have described it as of buying 90 cents 1.5 1.5 litre bottles of water, like at least three times a week, please pray for me, I'm, I'm working on it, it's not every single day, but water is very important, and it's important in ways that we perhaps don't even realise. If you haven't noticed, a majority of cities, a majority of civilizations, are built around large bodies of water. Because it's a means for us to, to yeah, get water supply, but it's also a means for plumbing. It's a means for agriculture. It's a means for transportation through shipping. Really, the, the way that economies are built, the way that our world is built, the way that we live in the world that we live in right now is all dictated by water. It's, it's actually quite fascinating. Even in biblical times, you can see the ancient Babylonians, now they're, They they were the bad guys in so many situations, but the reason why they were so effective, the reason why they rose to prominence was because they were among the first of civilizations to realize if we control the water, we control the people. If we control the water, we control the economy. If we control the water, we can have rule over everything that we see. And then Jesus comes onto the scene and calls himself the living water. And he describes a heart for us to also have that same living water living on the inside of us and bubbling out into streams into the world around us. So church, I want you to understand that when we're talking about coming deeper with God, we're never talking about separating ourselves from the friends around us, separating ourselves from the problems of this world, but going, no, 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 I see the problems and I wanna be the solution. I see the issues of this world and I wanna bring a change to it. I wanna be the life to the world around me. I wanna be the light of Jesus himself to the friends and family that's around me. That is what you can do. Following Jesus is the most selfless thing you can do with your life. I am absolutely convinced with that. It is the best thing you can do for your friends. It is the best thing you can do for your family. It's the best thing you can do for the problems of this world is to go as deep as you possibly can into relationship with Jesus. Tyler Staddon wrote an incredible book recently called um, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. And he says, the desperate need of our time is not for successful Christians, not for popular Christians or winsome Christians, but it's need for deep Christians. Following Jesus is the most selfless thing we can do. So how do we go deep with God? How do we get into the depths of him tomorrow? How do we do it every single time we we go to try to interact with him, every time we try to worship, every single time we pray? How exactly do we do this? Well, I wanna share with you a very simple thought and I'd go as far as to say that this simple thought is what I would hopefully one day love to be remembered by. It's something that if, if, you know, when I one day go and die, and I know I'm quite young, I still got a lot of life to live, but if I could just tell anybody who ever thought about me one thing, it would be this. It's that God wants you. God wants You might go, okay, God wants me to do what? No, no, no. God doesn't want you to do. God wants you. Now, I, I know that sounds very simple. And here's the thing is that often the most simplest things are the most profound things. But we end up overlooking it because we want something that's just a, a complex formula or we want to perform or we want to show off or we want to go, look how difficult this is for me to know God. But no, no, it's as simple as that, as God wants you. I want to break that off into three points. Let's let's really break this apart on what exactly it means when we say God wants you. First of all, we have God. It's a pretty good start. And it's, it's going to be near impossible to describe, actually, it is literally impossible to describe God's nature in every single way. We're really going to spend the rest of eternity trying to just comprehend the fullness of who God is and Really, the, the, the thing about God is that even though we can't fully define Him, we can certainly describe Him. And the Scriptures give us a lot of different ways to describe God, but there's this particular scene in Revelation chapter 4, and it gives a fascinating overview or a description of who God is exactly. Now, a little bit of context is John had been sort of zapped up into heaven for like I know a few hours and he was having these crazy visions and God was showing him basically what the future of the church, really the realities in some ways of what we're living right now was going to take place. And it tells us all the way up until the kingdom of heaven comes back down to earth. But in Revelation chapter four, he describes being in God's throne room and there are these uh, six, sorry, four living creatures with six wings and eyes covering them completely. I first want to acknowledge that sounds disgusting. <laughs> that sounds horrible. I do not want to be stuck next to a plane <laughs> to one of those creatures. That is, uh, I, I, yeah, I don't know how to even comprehend what that might actually look like. But here's the thing is that the, the reason why it's, it's theorized that these creatures lived the way or were designed the way they, they were was because these creatures were meant to describe exactly who God is. And so in order to do that, they needed to see him as clearly as possible. So they were covered with eyes so that as they were circling around God's throne at all times, they would always be able to see God. And this is what's described in Revelation 4, 8, it said, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night, they never cease to say, day and night, that means that's happening right now. That means even in this exact moment, when we go to bed later, when we go to work, when we do whatever we do in our best days and our worst days, these creatures are constantly still encircling the throne room of God and this is what they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. If you wanna know about God, the first thing to know about Him is that He's holy. He is holy. Now, you might wonder, okay, what does holy exactly mean? Well, the the simplest way I've, I've heard it described is that holiness refers to separating from everything else. So in the context of God, he is separate to everything else. What's more is the other side of holiness, so if you were to look at two faces of the same coin, is that it is the highest possible good. So God is holy holy because he is unlike anything else. You can look at all of creation, and he's not even a part of that because he's creator. You can look at any good thing that's in this world, and even though it's good, it's still not as good as he is. He is holy in every way. He is completely unlike us in so, so many ways. He is the greatest good. He is the definition of good. The reason why we say God is good isn't because he is morally just doing the right thing. No, 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 he is the definition of good, which means that he doesn't bend to the will of good. It means that whenever he does something, it becomes good. Good bends to the will of God because he is holy. And then there's the second part, which is wants. So God, who is holy, wants, which tells us, that God has a desire. And when you start to think about that, that just strikes me as so odd that an all-present, all-powerful, all-knowing being would want something, would wanna desire something. The only true being, the holy being, the one that is separate and has everything at hand, everything that he would ever need still wants something. You see, it's it's the most awe-striking just concept that the God of the universe would possibly want something from the creation that he designed. We have this idea of a holy God, which is absolutely true, and for the ancient Israelites, they had an incredible idea. They, they knew full well of the holiness of God. They, they had this, this fear of God, which Pastor Paul preached on so, so well this morning. So I'd recommend you to check that out on YouTube. And there's these stories of God doing these mighty and wonderful and incredible, but also terrifying things. Uh, If you watch like Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark, you kind of get almost a sense of of what that might look like, of just the raw power of God, the literal face melting, just incredible power of God that would be so incredible, but also so, so terrifying. But then what happens is that Jesus then comes onto the scene and he talks about God at such a depth that no one else has really experienced before, no one else has really shown before. He has such an understanding of who God is that his disciples begin to notice it and go, Jesus, I want you to teach us how to pray. We know that however you pray, however you talk to God, however you know God is unlike anything we've ever seen. You have a depth with God that we have never seen before. And so Jesus gathers them around and starts off with this prayer pray like this in Matthew 6:9 Our Father in heaven may your name be kept holy So Jesus understands that there's the holiness of God that that is completely a part of his identity but before he says that he says our Father Now we have now got 2000 years of church history and this reality can be lost on us so much but there is such a scandal and calling a holy, almighty, terrifying God, my Father. And we find ourselves often losing sight and losing depth with God, because if we only focus on the the force of God, the abstract nature of God, and fail to, to realize the holiness of God, but then also the fatherly love, that God has there for every single one of us. I I truly believe that if we had a a pure understanding, a a deeper understanding of God simply just as our Father, and I understand that Father is a very loaded word for so many people. We've had had, uh, a few decades now of really the idea of fatherhood being torn down, and that was after centuries of many, many fathers just not living up to the title. But this is the thing is that God is the good Father. He is the perfect Father. He is the ideal Father. He is what, everything that a good, wholesome father can possibly be. He is that and then some. He is the holy, good father. So Jesus shows that God, like any father, has a desire. And his desire is for his children. And that brings us to you. God wants you. Psalms 8.3 the writer is trying to comprehend this idea that God wants me. He says, look at the splendor of your skies, your creative genius glowing in the heavens. When I gaze at your moon and at your stars, mounted like jewels in their setting, I know you are the fascinating artist who fashioned it all. But I have about, I have to ask this question. Why would you bother with puny, mortal men or care about human beings. See, the thing that God desires most out of all of creation, out of all the things we could see, out of the, the seen and the unseen, He doesn't desire the affection of the angels. He doesn't desire the, the praises of the galaxies. He doesn't praise the, the, the holy cries of those weird angel six-wing eye-covered things. No, no, no. His, his number one desire is that we would look to him and go, I want you to. I want you to. His deepest desire is for you to know him deeply. And the reality is is that that is exactly how he designed us. Talked about the holiness of God a moment ago. And the, the thing that you might not have realized is that we constantly, worship things that we like to call holy. We can look at celebrities, we can look at sporting icons, we can look at people who are really good at what they do and we can go, they are holy because they are unlike anyone else. They are better than anyone else. They are the highest possible good in that particular field. Or you can try to make yourself holy. You can go, all right, if I'm able to separate myself from the pack, If I'm able to make enough money, I'm able to earn enough success, if I'm able to find enough power that I myself can become holy, I can separate myself. And really those are all echoes of, of a deep craving that every single one of us has, which is to be in the presence of holiness. But it's only gonna be fulfilled with the one true holy being, which is God himself. God wants you. He's the only being who could fully satisfy satisfy us. So how do we begin to go deeper? How do we begin to say, God, I want you too? Um, There's this Psalm in chapter 51, and man, the, 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 the Psalm itself, I'll read it in a moment, and that just has brought me back to my knees time and time again before God. But even the backstory behind this is, just oh man it's it's just something else it was written by King David and he was at without doubt the lowest point in his life at this point he'd been king for several years so he'd already become a hero in the eyes of his nation he'd already fought and killed Goliath he'd already overcome Saul he'd already become the king he was already the known as the person after God's own heart and then there was this one season where He was meant to go out to battle. He was meant to lead his army. He was meant to do what kings did back in the day, which was to lead courageously and to fight for God. And instead, he decided to not do that and to to at first just choose comfort. Choose not to do God's will for him, but to to choose to do what felt best for him in that moment, which was to stay home. That in itself isn't the worst thing in the world by any means, but then what happens is he, he starts to pay attention to, the the captain of his army's wife. And he starts to to get eyes for her. And the Bible then describes that he he later sleeps with her, she falls pregnant, and then he realizes it and freaks out. So he organizes for the captain of his army, the, the woman's husband to get murdered. So at this point, he's now an adulterer and a murderer. And I, I want to pause that just first of all to say that out of that was born his son Solomon. So I I wanna let you know that if you've ever felt like you've done something completely unredeemable, Solomon grew up to become the wisest man known in all of history. He was the person who brought Israel onto a global map. He was the one who was able to really fulfill the fullness of the promises that Israel had been given for centuries, that they would be set apart as a nation, that they would be able to rule, that they would be God's people. He was able to do things that no other king had been able to do before and have been able to do since. But before Solomon is born, while he's still a baby, David is crushed by the weight of what he has done. He is crushed by the fact that he had gone to the lowest depths that he thought he would never even be able to consider going. And it's thought that this Psalm was written maybe a year or maybe two years after all these acts. It's thought that he hadn't talked to God this entire time. He was so filled with shame. He was so filled with guilt. He was so filled with horror at himself. But eventually, and we don't know Fully, what might've spurred this on, but he just comes to the end of himself. And he then just falls on his knees before God and he just, just confesses all the wrong he's done and goes, God, would you please wash me clean? Would you please wash me clean? Would you please wash me clean? And then towards the end of the Psalm, he starts to, you can sense his spirit starts to rise up. He starts to realize and remember, God still wants me. God still loves me. This holy being, who should have nothing to do with me, is still pursuing me. And he realizes this is the thing that brings me back to God. This is the thing that takes me into depths with God. Psalm fifty-one, sixteen. He says, "Going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you." I learned to God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lives ready for love don't for a moment escape God's notice. God doesn't want your performance, church. He doesn't want your emotions. He doesn't want your coming and going just for the sake of it. God doesn't want your perfection. He doesn't want you to make yourself holy. God wants you. God Wants you. May that be the realisation every single day that when you just come into the presence of God or even when you just feel like you can't come into the presence of God because of whatever, if you feel like you haven't performed well enough, if you feel like you've, you've gotten out of the motions, if you feel like you haven't been living up to whatever you feel like you need to live up to in order to, to know God, Remember this, God wants you. He wants your heart. I would go as far as to say, He doesn't want us to pridefully try to make ourselves right before we come to Him. No, no, no. God wants you fully and He wants you now. So let that be the the desire of our heart, of going, God, I know you want me. And God, I want you too. Let's invite you to all close your eyes in this moment. We've been talking a lot about depth in relationship with God. How do we go deeper with God? And we're going to continue with a few other incredible topics over these next few weeks. But maybe you're in this room and you're going, well, talking about depth with God, I have no relationship with God. I want to ask you, do you want a relationship with God? Do you want to make the best decision of your life? do you want to know what good feels like? Do you wanna have that restless craving that you know is there from the depths of your heart to finally be satisfied? Because we know that, that God sees all of our imperfections. He sees all the reasons why we shouldn't be in relationship with Him. And yet He still sent Himself down for us 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus. He showed us how to live, how how to know God as our Father. But what's more is He then paid for every wrong we ever did or could ever do by dying for us on a cross and then raising again three days later. So in the same way, right now, however you found your life until this point, you can go, God, I lay it down, I give it to you. And in the same way that you rose up, I'm gonna take the life that you have freely got available for me. It is the best thing you can do for yourself. It is the best thing you can do for the people around you. But also, it is the one thing that your soul truly needs above everything else. So if you wanna accept that into your life, with every eye closed, it's just myself and one of our friends at the back. I'd love for you to have a, a moment of courage and just slip up your hand. you haven't made that decision for a while or maybe you did and you've discovered you're having a a mini David moment where you've had your great moments with God but then you found yourself slip away from Him. I want to also invite you, if you want to come back to God, to also slip up your hand. Amazing. Well church, we're going to pray this together and if that's you who's made that decision then I would invite you to not say it to this room, but to say it to God, because God is here in this pres- in this moment and He hears you exactly where you are. So church, let's join in saying, dear God, I welcome you into my heart and I welcome you into my life. I know somehow you want me and God, I want you too. gonna go deeper with you from this day onwards. In Jesus' name, amen. I just real quick, I'd love for us to just keep our eyes closed and I'd just love to pray for every single one of us. God, somehow in all that you are, as we go deeper with you, we, I just blown away more and more the fact that you would be mindful of us, that out of all the things you could desire, you desire us. And so God, I pray that we would be reminded of the fatherly love that you have for us, that you are the good God, you are the good Father. God, I pray that for every single one of us, regardless on how we feel we might be in relationship to you or our position to you, God, I pray that we wouldn't get in our own way and pursuing you with everything that's in us. God, would you remove any pride or any sense of performance? And God, would you just give us the courage to time and time again just give you our hearts and trust you with it completely and fully. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church.